Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. When Yoon Kim asked if I'd be willing to be a part of her photo project on Asian diaspora, where she set out to interview and photograph one Connecticut resident from each of the 21 Asian ethnicities, my first reaction was, are you sure? Me? After digesting for a few seconds, I said yes, I'd be happy to. I don't see a lot of Taiwanese-American representation, and of course, while I don't speak for all, I would love to be able to tell parts of my story with hopes that someone out there would connect with it. There was some trepidation, a sense of unease going into this. There's so much judgment and preconceptions and, quite frankly, racism out there that I'm working against. There's a box that people have already put me in, and I hope Yehun's photo and storytelling series will help break down that box and let us bring some humanness into a space that tends to dehumanize us. I loved working with Yehun. She made what was a very, very vulnerable experience, very comfortable, and to some extent, refreshing. We talked and laughed about journalism, pop culture, all kinds of things, which is exactly what human beings do when we're having a good time. So it makes me even more excited that we'll be talking about her work today, and she joins me now. Yehun Kim, she's a photo and video journalist who was previously just downstairs from us with the Connecticut Mirror. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. And for our listeners, you can also join our conversation, 888-720-9677, or leave us a comment on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. And we'll be talking about the project today, and you can find the project on our website at ctpublic.org slash where we live or at ctmirror.org. So, you know, I want to ask you first, you know, can you take us to the beginning? What inspired you to start this Asian diaspora project in the first place? Well, um, at first it started with the pandemic. Um, I saw a lot of coverages about the Asians being attacked during the pandemic, even if they're not Chinese. It doesn't mean that the Chinese can be attacked, but... But people considered any Asians coming as coming from China. So seeing that, I wanted to do something. So I kept looking for what I can do to help people um, more understand Asians, like diverse backgrounds. And I saw this new public policy to teach Asian Asian American Pacific Islanders history to in public schools. So I thought this could be a good introduction to show the diversity and promote that it's going to happen in Connecticut. So when when you were sort of witnessing those those sort of 
verbally violent acts and and how that inspired you to do this you know what what, what was going through your mind you know when you were when you learned about it or you witnessed it you know were you thinking this is kind of impossible or or that this is doesn't feel real you know what was what was going through your mind um i felt um bad but because i myself experienced that too um and as i'm a journalist i wanted to do something about it but i thought just reporting about people getting attacked and hearing some bad words um that's important but i already other people were doing it so i was thinking what can i do like something different to actually help people like know this community like because i thought people um people get a little bit uh, defensive when they don't really know that people or when they are not familiar so that's what i was thinking in my head like what can i do to help like reduce this situ like alleviate this situation yeah and of course you're a photojournalist so this is going to be a super obvious question but you know why why a photo project now can you take us through your planning stage and and how that sort of took shape you know why a photo series for this well <laughs> i'm a yeah photojournalist so photo is my storytelling tool but i thought um when you when you see actually people um in like people's faces and their lives and it's it's also it included the videos so when you see when you see their photos in their natural settings they feel like oh like it's they actually live here and they feel more intimate and they feel like they know you and when let's say like people come across other neighbors that look similar to those people who are featured in this series, then maybe they talk to them, maybe they will say hi. So I thought it could help them feel like they can be my friends too. And what kinds of priorities or or expectations did you have going into this series? I mean, of course, you know, we're talking about you going into the series, you want to sort of show the world what the community looks like. But, you know, what what about yourself? You know, did you learn anything from it or did you go into it with any expectations? What was that like for you? Well, <laughs> to be honest, um, I didn't I didn't start this project thinking that I will photograph these many people mm-hmm. <laughs> at first um yes my purpose was clear that it's to show the diversity and to break the stereotype that all Asians are from another one country but I didn't at first plan to photograph 21 people from each country um but as it progressed I've I learned also that there are these many countries that I also didn't really know. And I also, although I'm from South Korea, I was not familiar with, say, Karen community. Mm. So, 
yeah, I learned how diverse it is. I mean, when when you came to me and told me that you were doing a story as showcasing 21 ethnicities, I remember being shocked too. Like, wow, you know, Connecticut is such a small state and there's 21 Asian ethnicities. I was mm-hmm. so excited. Um, you know, what were you, what were you most excited about actually? Um, was it to learn about people, to see people, or, or just the fact that you have 21 um, people and, and families that, that opened up to you to tell their stories? Um. Um, it's also when I say this, it's sad and also hopeful. So when I discuss with my photo editor, Mike Davis, about how to progress this project throughout the one year, he suggested, Yihen, if your purpose is to show the diversity, I think it's really important to recruit all, find all the 21 people from each country. So when I started this, um, I was not sure if I can actually do this. Mm-hmm. And it was actually a little bit hard to find all the 21 people because in Connecticut, the Asian populations are pretty spread out. But when I actually find people, very, very few people rejected. Like pretty much everyone really jumped in saying, when I tell about the story behind why I'm doing this project, people were really relating to that cause. Like, there's like, oh, I totally agree. I often get asked, although I was born here, I often get asked what, where I'm from. So it's a little sad that people, I really jumped, really jumped into the project because they felt that kind of nuanced racism before, but also hopeful that they are trying to help make the change, yeah. And we're also going to be hearing from another person that you profiled for this project after our break. But can you can you tell us, you know, what would you say was the most intimate exchange that you shared, or the most memorable exchange that you shared with somebody here? Obviously, everyone was really led me letting me into their house, so. Pretty much all the situations were intimate, but it was especially, it felt especially special when the current Hartford mayor, Arunan Arunpalan, led me into his house in uh, in the early morning. So mm-hmm. before I saw him only as a mayor candidate, mm-hmm. so I saw him like visiting other neighbors in Hartford. So all the public figure faces, but when he led me into his house, his his wife just walked up, woke up, and his friend, his kids were asking about all the random questions that kids would ask. They were having cereal. So looking at him interacting with his family in the early morning and seeing that natural scene like the personal scene that felt very intimate yeah and did it feel different because he's a public figure so but that doesn't mean he has to let you into his house obviously um but what about you know someone who's not used to to the public and and who lets you into their homes or to their personal spaces to take photos because photos 
you know, it's a very vulnerable experience, but how did that make you feel that, that people were so welcoming? Um, so I would say the, um, I remember me going into this church where everyone is speaking not English, non-Korean. They were having this um, religious moment and the priest would come. I was the, like, I, I was really a foreigner, like sitting in the back, like watching them having the service. And the priest would come and ask questions about, oh, like, like you know, very welcoming way. So um, I thought I, it really made me feel, feel that if someone is really wanting to learn about your culture, like even if that culture feels very different, people are really welcoming. They're really willing to share. Before I went to the church, I was a little afraid how people would react to me being there without speaking their language. But it really made me feel actually people would love to share their culture. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned language because I think one thing that really struck me about the series, I mean, everyone's stories are so amazing and inspirational. And I love learning about every single person that you interviewed and their families. But one thing that really jumped out to me was I think almost everyone was multilingual. And that's just amazing to me because I think learning English as a second language is is incredibly I have so much respect for anyone who does that because it's such a difficult language to learn. Um, that was something that really that really jumped out to me. You know, what what about you? You know, during this process, was there something that really surprised you or shocked you about this experience? Um, I think um. Or is it something that's especially memorable that you feel like, I mean, the entire thing is memorable, so that's that's kind of a given, but just anything that you feel like you're going to take away from this that you'll never forget? I think, I think for me, the second generation, it was really the a person who I photographed, um, he was born in the U.S. and what really hit me was he he was born here, but how he was trying to feel connected to his parents who are from mm. different countries, who are immigrants, mm. um, by speaking his language and by eating his food and how his father was trying to find that connection with his son um while still hoping that he would that his son would not go through the same thing as that he the he himself as an immigrant went through like settling into the new country so think that two aspects of the father wanting his wanting the better life for his son but also wanting to share his originating countries um culture so that seeing that both sides i could relate to it and that stood out to me yeah 
You've been listening to Yahyun Kim. She's a freelance photo and video journalist who launched this project for the Connecticut Mirror late last year. You can find links to this project on our website at ctpublic.org slash where we live or at ctmirror.org. We'll continue this conversation after a quick break. You can also join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. Good morning. You're listening to Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Robin Doyon Aiken from Seasoned. I'm with my colleague in the newsroom, executive editor Eric Asen. Hi, Eric. We are jumping in briefly to ask for your support because we know that you value what Catherine Shen and her team of producers bring you each week on Where We Live. What a feat of visual journalism the series A Diaspora in Focus is. I encourage you to go online and spend some time reading the stories and scrolling through the images. And while you're online, head over to ctpublic.org donate because you can help us reach our goal of raising $1,000 this hour. If we do... Better Built Basements will unlock a dollar-for-dollar match of all contributions. So if we raise $1,000, Better Built Basements will turn it into $2,000. But we need your help to get there. And uh, so if you were planning on giving later this week, why not give right now when your gift can be doubled potentially? 1-800-584-2788 is the number to call or give online at ctpublic.org slash donate. And here's Eric. Good morning. Hey, Robin. Good to be here with you. Good morning, everyone. Great to hear from folks who aren't just listeners, but becoming members of this institution, this community asset. We're calling it the little, cute little five-day uh, membership drive. It's lasting just a week. So so while it's top of mind, now is a great time to contribute at ctpublic.org, or you can call 800-584-2788. You know, we have thank you gifts to thank you for your generous contribution. And this time of year, maybe roses are on our mind because of Valentine's Day coming around the corner. Well, guess what? For $13 a month, you can get two dozen Valentine's Day red roses delivered uh, to someone in your life or perhaps yourself if you want to uh, gift yourself. Yeah. This is for $13 a month as a sustaining member. It's a very popular thank you gift this time of year, but it's only available to reserve uh, through Thursday. So call in and contribute right now while it's top of mind. This will arrive just in time for Valentine's Day. Farm Fresh Gathering, 24 classic red roses. Robin, not just 12 roses, but 24. Yeah. Go crazy, go wild, show your love for someone you love, and also show your love for Connecticut Public at the same time. ctpublic.org or call 800-584-2788. Because you rely on what you hear on Connecticut Public's news programs and local shows to feel connected to your community, we hope you'll support us during this hour when we have the chance to double your donation. You make it possible for us to share stories about local change makers, authors, poets, activists, and journalists like this hour. Connecting with Connecticut Public as a sustaining member of this community is easy. Call 1-800-584-2788 or go online and click that little donate button on the top right. It has a heart on it, and maybe that will make you think of getting those roses. <laughs> you can find us at ctpublic.org slash donate. 
Uh, you know, the best way to make an impact right now is as a sustaining membership. I was talking about those roses for $13 a month. That means just a certain amount of money is taken out of your checking account or credit card account, um, you know, a little bit each month. And it's a budget-friendly way to contribute, and it's also reliable support for Connecticut Public. And when you become a sustaining member, you're joining a movement of Connecticut Public members who stand up for factual reporting and inspired storytelling. Your monthly donation may seem small, but it makes a huge difference. Believe me, believe Robin, we know firsthand when we see people contribute, whatever is right for your budget is right for Connecticut Public. But the power and the beauty of this, Robin, is when you know one person contributes and others contribute, it multiplies, it amplifies, and all that money makes a big difference in paying the bills and providing the service that's indispensable, that is Connecticut Public, that you rely on each and every day. ctpublic.org or call 800-584-2788. Yeah, Eric is describing our mission right now, and every day at Connecticut Public, we are on a mission to bring you the news and local talk shows that make you a little smarter, better informed, and bring a little joy into your life. And we can do it because you support it. If you support us today, the very first day of our February Fund Drive, there is a bonus. Everyone who gives uh, a gift today will be entered into a giveaway for an Amazon Echo with premium sound, and sustainers are um, entered twice. Nice. Yeah. If you haven't been moved to give yet, we're asking you to give now during this hour of Where We Live. Call 1-800-584-2788 or Go to ctpublic.org slash donate. So if you contribute today on the first day of the drive, you're going to be entered into the Amazon Echo giveaway. If you contribute this hour, you'll help us reach a, a match. There's so many reasons to give right now during the 9 o'clock hour here on Connecticut Public Radio. Here's how you do it, ctpublic.org, or call 800-584-2788. And thanks. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygen it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the Go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to Hartford for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. This hour, we're discussing a photo project created by Yehoon Kim. She interviewed and photographed Connecticut residents with Asian roots, your true, yours truly included. The series celebrates Asianness and also confronts the temptation to oversimplify what that really means. Joining the conversation is another person Yehoon profiled for this project, Jenny Hikla Diaz, or JHD. They are a professional learning coordinator for Connecticut Council for the Social Studies and the activist in residence at UConn's Asian and Asian American Studies Institute. They're also co-founder of API NHV, a recently formed New Haven organization. Thank you so much, JHD, for being on Where We Live today. Thanks for having me. 
And still with us is Yehun Kim, who's the photo and video journalist for this project. And you can also join the conversation, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So, JHD, you were also a part of Yehun's photojournalist um, or journalism project. Can you take us through your experience? You know, what what was some of your expectations you had when she reached out to you? Well, when Yehun uh, first asked me to be, to be a part of it, I had sort of a similar thought to you. Um, am I the right person for this? Um, I think there's tension between representing your community or communities and representing yourself often when you're asked to do things like this. Um, so for me as a biracial person, as a Korean American, as an Asian American, just to name some of my identities, I um, I felt like, oh, you're only doing one profile of one person <laughs> in the Korean American community and and that could be me. Um, and, and I think this goes to the some of the things that are really insidious about stereotypes and internalized supremacies, such as white supremacy, um, we're socialized to believe that certain stories are worthy. And it, you know, the question is, is my story worthy to be told and shared? Um, I'm unlearning a lot of these, these things about the meritocracy myth and the model minority myth. So I, I'm always concerned about not wanting to contribute um, to these this monolithic way that the Asian American and Pacific Islander communities portrayed. Um, so the, yeah, the question definitely came up for me. Um, what's so special about my story that it deserves to be the one that gets included about Korean Americans and one of a set um, about Asian Americans in Connecticut. Um, so yeah, I put a lot of stress on myself <laughs> definitely um, when she when she asked me to participate in this. Right, and and that's not surprising because you're right. You have so many identities. It's not just embodied in one, and and that's sort of the box that that we talk about too. Is is it's not just one single thing that you check off. It's it's so many things, like so many people. And I, and I think with your photo series, what makes it so special too is it's very it's also very intergenerational. So can you, can you take us back to that experience? Because I think it builds on what you're talking about. It's not just your identity, it's your family's identity. And I know we can talk for days on that, but it was on your, your child Gabriella's sixth birthday. Can you talk about what that experience was like? Yeah, I mean, I think when we were talking about what the profile could be, I wanted it to be, I wanted it to be an intergenerational one because I think um, that also helps sort of flesh out why my family is is special within these different communities that we're a part of. Um, and yeah, we didn't we we were struggling to find a date, so we ended up deciding to um, have Yehyun join my family. Um, so my mom's cousins, um, who I call uncle and aunt, and then my children and Michael and me um, for a meal that we were having that day together. And I I think the the really great thing for me in this situation was that um, I actually had met Yehyun before this project. Um, my kids and I had gone to, uh, we, we like to do community mural painting in New Haven whenever we can. It's really fun and it's meaningful and it's a way to learn about our community in community. Um, and so we had joined this, this beautiful mural project in the Hill neighborhood that um, a really talented local artist, Isaac Bloodworth had um, been working on and that my friend Sun Queen had um, contributed some words to. So we'd gone to paint and that's actually the day that I met Ye Hyun and we had this 
we had this great conversation. I'm, I'm purposely sort of taking you down this road because I think it helps paint why, um, why it was so easy for me to invite her to come to a special, a special moment like that. Um, so anyway, that conversation, I think she's a, a really remarkable and deliberate and, and beautiful storyteller. Um, she talked to my kids and me and Isaac about the mural. And then also just like my kid went, my older kid Magdalena went and took this puppet she'd made. Isaac happens to also be um, a puppet maker. And it was of my harmony, my mother's mother, my grandmother on my Korean side of my family. Um, and we had all these wonderful conversations that sort of just led to another thing and another thing and another thing that day. And so I think that's why it was very easy for me to, to be like, yes, you should come and join us to, to celebrate my child's sixth birthday because um, I already felt really comfortable and she had made me feel like all these stakes that I was sort of making up that might be um, stakes in this conversation and this project, um, they, they weren't there that day. Um, so it was, a, it was really great. Like even little things like um, if you look at my, my profile, um, we got into this conversa conversation, Yehim got into this conversation with Magdalena about um, books and Magdalena happened to bring a, a book um, down from like a pile of books that was about Asian Americans, but it, it wasn't like, um, it wasn't like a, because of a leading question, right? Or because assumptions right. about what storylines do we have to bring in or what themes do we have to speak on? Um, and I found that that sometimes happens when we're talking, it doesn't matter if I'm talking to an Asian American or a non-Asian American, um, we, we have these sound bites that we listen for. We have these questions that we think we're supposed to ask. And I think that's not the experience that I had um, as being a part of this project, which was, as, as to use your word from earlier, refreshing. And I mean, I use refreshing for a reason. And, and I think it reflects your own experience as well. I think we went into this both feeling like, oh, there's there might be a certain kind of expectation, but I had a similar experience where I had met Yehun before this project as well. So so at the end of the day, I really went in with with no expectations. And and Yehun will attest to this. You know, she came to me. We were originally going to talk about journalism and and what it means to be an Asian American journalism journalist. And we ended up really not talking about that all that all. We like you said, we we talked about all of the things, and we ended up going on this black hole about pop culture, which is something that I would definitely want to revisit at some point. Um, but JHD, I want to ask because of what you described, the, the refreshing experiences, you know, do you think these are these are sort of cultural nuances or or just a part of the storytelling that needs to be told to sort of let the world know that we're just human beings, we're not just subjects? You know, what are your thoughts about that? Um, I think, I think, yes, that uh, I think this is the, this is the part of the work that we have to do in our like unlearning and undoing of these, these sort of monolithic myths about many different communities, right? That, um, that stories are complicated. Um, people are, each person's story is going to be different, even if they share lots of identities. Um, and so and I think that's the work that <clears throat> this is why this is such an this project that Yehyun put together is such an important and special um, special resource 
Um, and, and I don't like to tag it as resource, but it, it really is a beautiful contribution to the work that we're trying to do in schools around Asian American and Pacific Islander studies. Um, there is no like perfect set of stories that we can give to all almost 170 communities that we have in Connecticut, right? Like there has to be um, there has to be a lot of nuance and there, there has to be a responsiveness to who is in that community and who is not in that community. And I think that's why um, I didn't really get how amazing <laughs> um, a diaspora in focus was going to be in terms of how well it matched with what we're trying to accomplish in the API studies work that we're doing across the state until um, I started reading uh, the first part of the East Asian um, installment and I started reading um, A.G. Tong's profile. And as I went through each one, I started to realize like, this is what we're trying to do with students in the oral historian work that I've been doing with teachers where um, students come up with questions and, and teachers work together with the people that they bring into their classrooms. And the students learn, you know, they learn questioning, they learn note-taking, um, but most importantly, they're also learning to really listen to someone's story and to hold it and honor it, and then tell it the way the person wants it to be told. Um, and so it's, yeah, it, I can't even, say thank you enough um, for her work on this project. It's It's been tremendous. And, and I'm really thankful to have been a part of it too. Well, and I want to ask you what your thoughts were when you saw the photos, but if you, well, I'll give you a moment to think about that. But I want to ask you really quick here. Um, I'm sure it's it's something you hear a lot probably when, when you approach somebody about video uh, or video or a photo project that it could be uncomfortable or if you're talking um, to a certain person of a certain ethnicity, um, especially with what JHD mentioned earlier, you know, particularly when they feel like they have to represent their background or heritage. So, yeah, can, can you talk about how did you how did you go about framing this story? You know, how did you make sure that everyone was comfortable and that they can talk about what they want to talk about? Well, <laughs> I think. If you say that you are representing um, your culture, I think it. I don't think I. I don't. I think it'll be really hard mm -hmm. to say. Oh, okay, I can represent. So, sure. I think that's. Um, I I wouldn't um, say like that, but because, as you guys said, one person has a lot of aspects. So, I would just say. I just want to get to know you as a person mm -hmm. and the questions that come to me are not about their ethnicity it's about their life and people are willing to share at least their story and when I start asking about their life it involves it essentially involves elements about their ethnicity and immigrant background or their parents' background. So when I put it that way, people start to talk and they realize, oh, I have things to share. Mm -hmm. And then it starts flowing naturally. Yeah. And so, JHD, you and I both shared and flowed with uh, Yet Yoon, and she has photographed you and your children before. So I want to ask, you know, how was that experience of seeing those photos in print or digitally, did it change your own experience of that moment? And how did you feel seeing the final photos for this series? 
so for the mural, <laughs> um, I mean, I knew it was a beautiful experience and I appreciated it, but it was really lovely to see the photos afterwards because um, I also had this, <laughs> this, this lingering thing about, um, if you've seen the photos, my kids really got paint all over them and then managed to get paint all over me and uh, that dress had to get thrown out. <laughs> um, but it was, so it was, it was really lovely to have those photos to remember and focus on um, the, the bigger picture of that beautiful memory. And then um, for the for the um, diaspora and focus project, um, that profile, I I was actually looking at the photos again yesterday, um, and I I mean I think there there's you know the sort of traditional sort of photograph of um, some of my family that was included, which was a really lovely photo, um, but I also loved the the smaller moments photos too, like even the one of my uncle saying bye to Gabriella before when they were walking out um, the door. So it was, yeah, it was, it was like capturing all the moments um, in a really lovely, but not like a, here's the sort of narration you should expect in a story kind of way. If that makes sense. Oh no, it totally makes sense. And and with what you just shared, I I actually want to ask, you know, what else about this experience was refreshing? Because I think I think the way you describe it, it sounds it sounds like an experience that should be expected, but there's reasons why it wasn't expected. Because usually you go into the these things sort of should I say guarded or or you have a certain level of expectations, um, but that didn't happen. So what else about it was refreshing to you? I think it goes back to what I was saying about there not being sort of like leading questions. Um, and I'm not trying to make it seem like I'm like blaming other people um, because I think I go into it with expectations too from past experiences. And like I was saying before, sort of the way that the ways that I've been socialized, right, right. as well. Um, but I think that's what it was, is that it was it really was a conversation. And in some ways, I felt like it picked up on another conversation that we had prior, um, and so it 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 really didn't it didn't feel like we were we had an agenda. Um, it it really didn't feel that way the entire time, and that also meant that the time kind of flew. Um, so a, definitely like a special moment to hold on to. Right, and we know time always flies when you're having fun, having those unique memories created. And and yeah, you and you've been listening to what JHD has said. We love really quickly before we go to break. You know your response to what JHD has shared. Well, speaking of mural project, that's also part of why I started this project. Um, when JHD was telling her children in Korean about things I overheard and I could sense that she was very engaged in the community and I kept hearing Korean and that's that also broke my stereotype that yeah. I didn't realize I had about Asian Americans and that just made me want to talk to her and get to know more about what she's engaged in so yes that was really memorable for me, yeah. 
Well, we're really glad that you've had those conversations together, which means we can have this conversation together today. Uh, you've been listening to photo and video journalist Yehun Kim and also JHD, who's a professional learning coordinator for Connecticut Council for the Social Studies. You can find links to this project on our website at ctpublic.org slash where we live or at ctmirror.org. And we'll continue this conversation after a quick break. You can also join in. Give us a call, 888-720-9677, or leave us a comment on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. This hour, we're discussing the photo project, A Diaspora in Focus. And disclaimer, I was profiled in the series as well. In addition to Jenny Hekla Diaz, or JHD, they join us now, along with the creator and photo and video journalist behind the project, Yehun Kim. And so, JHD, I want to start this segment off with you. We've talked a little bit about the project that was linked to the landmark uh, legislation in Connecticut that will require AAPI history in public schools as of the 2025-26 school year. So we know you're involved in the curriculum development here in Connecticut, including this new AAPI curriculum that's set to roll out soon. So do you see, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but do you see the series as a possible teaching tool? And why is that, JHD? I mean, I'm going to echo some of the things I said earlier about sure. about how the profiles uh, really allow for um, the different individuals to share about our communities, but also do it in a way that um, that's really connected to them as as people and community members. So I think the way the storytelling um, was done, both through the photographs and through the the words, is is what we're trying to do with, with students in schools and the work that we're doing with the AAPI studies integration. Um, I think there's ways to, so we're gonna have to coordinate, right, um, right, on how we do this, but I think there are ways to use pieces or the totality of it, um, of a diaspora and focus across schools. Um, I think our children are, are both um, into words and pictures and, and um, having experiences with those together, no matter their age. And so um, there are ways to, like maybe the text is too complicated for a younger learner, um, but you can rely on the photos and some of the themes that you pull out from the text to, to use it for, for younger learners. Um, but maybe your high school students can actually um, take, on, take on the entire profile as is. So I think there are ways to to utilize it, like I was saying, as a resource. Um, and then I think it fits really well with, um, like I said, not just the storytelling, holding stories, um, honoring stories, telling stories um, through the, the the words that the person whose story it is actually wants it to be told. But it, it also connects really well with um, the social studies standards, the newly approved as of last October content standards. Uh, because if you look at those standards, there are places where Asian Americans are called out specifically in examples, for example, for instance. Um, but these uh, these profiles really have that they're they're very social studies friendly and that they connect they have that connection between past, present, and future. 
um, in a way that that makes the learning that our students um, experience at school so much more meaningful. Um, whether they connect to the identities in the in the profile or not, I think it it's a valuable set of resources for all of our children. Um, and then I'll just point out too in the social studies standards that um, you'll see those interwoven content themes of global context, local connections, representation, inclusivity, justice, and agency um, throughout throughout the uh, diaspora and focus project. So it's 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 amazing um, what what's contained in, um, in in this one project in terms of what we can do with it in schools. Right. And, I, and not I, just for API studies either. Like if you think about it in the grander scheme of ensuring that we have everyone um, as part of what we learn in schools. Right. And I think it's really difficult to to read the stories and not think about it from an education standpoint, just because this is so in the forefront of our minds. Um, can you give a quick update on that curriculum or any any updates that you can give us? Um, sure. I mean, we've been working on it since uh, even before the legislation passed. Right. Because I think there have been many folks interested in making sure that our schools are teaching uh, teaching. The, the full history of our country and the world. And so um, in terms of the, the shorter time that I've been involved in it, um, we've run a few different communities of practice with different groups of teachers. Um, there's a couple running right now um, in Connecticut. I know I'm doing one in partnership with a few different organizations, including the International Festival of Arts and Ideas, and with with UConn um, Asian and Asian American Studies Institute, where I work as an activist in residence. Um, and so in New Haven, the, the community practice I'm working on is actually building off of uh, the work that we did a couple years ago for the best we could do. Um, and we're connecting it to um, a documentary made by a local family um, called Ghost Mountain as well. So we're doing some really interesting work at the high school level um, to ensure API studies integration. And that's happening in with library and media specialists, English teachers and history teachers in New Haven. So that's just one example of one of the, the many different pieces that we're working on. And so um, we, we've got about a minute left here. So I'm going to ask Yayoon um, for some final thoughts. You know, would you like to see this project in the classroom in Connecticut? I would love to. <laughs> um, and I would love students to feel more connected and to realize that oh, that's part of me and it's around my neighborhood. Yeah. And 30 seconds left, I would love to know, you know, how does it feel when you saw your your culmination of a whole year of hard work together out there? It was like my baby coming out. <laughs> After working on it for one year, I was really, yeah, it was really thrilling to see it happening. <laughs> well, we are thrilled that you're um, willing to share that conversation with us. And again, for our listeners, you can find links to this project on our website at ctpublic.org slash where we live or at ctmirror.org. You can also find more information on social media for Asian Pacific American Coalition of Connecticut. You've been listening to photo and video journalist Ye Hyun Kim. Thank you so much, Ye Hyun, for being with us today, as well as Jenny Hekela Diaz, or JHD, who's a professional learning coordinator for the Connecticut Council for the Social Studies. Thank you, both of you, for joining us today. 
I'm Catherine Shen. Today's show is produced by Katie Pellico. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Download where we live anytime on your favorite podcast app. And thank you so much for listening. Good morning. It's 9.55. Thank you so much for listening to Connecticut Public Radio. And now is a great time to support Connecticut Public Radio with the uh, membership campaign underway. It's a week long. We're calling it the cute little membership campaign. I'm Eric Austin here with Robin Doyon Aiken. And another great hour of Where We Live. And whatever reason you listen to Where We Live, that's the reason you should give right now with the membership campaign off to a great start. It's day one of the membership campaign. And here's how you can contribute. Join the momentum by calling 800-584-2788. Again, 800-584-2788 or online at ctpublic.org. And Robin, good morning. Good morning. We have a goal of $1,000. And if we Mm -hmm. are able to meet that goal, Better Built Basements will match it. So whatever amount you think you're giving in the next five minutes, you're actually giving double that because Eric and I are only $8 $8 away from our goal. <laughs> so close, folks. I know. If you could right now jump on the phone, 1-800-584-2788 is the number to call. Or if you're online, ctpublic.org slash donate. Uh, and you can give any amount right now, and you will be helping us to meet our goal and match that uh bonus gift. I uh, want to thank so many people who have called or gone online with the contributions this hour. Um, there are so many people to thank. want to thank a, a friend in New Haven, uh, another friend in New Haven. want to thank uh, Jean Rue in East Hartford, who says, I always support Connecticut Public because it's the only thing I listen to. You are so far ahead. Any other station, you are excellent. Well, Jean, you are excellent, too. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for renewing your membership. Thanks to Jill Kovalich um, of Newington, who says, I listen every morning with my coffee. Thanks to Mark Devon of Enfield. Thanks to Evelyn Eisenhart of Glastonbury. Thanks to Katie Lund of Mystic. And thanks to some friends in Shelton and Burlington. And they are all helping Robin meet uh, reach this uh, goal for the hour of $1,000. And they're all going to be entered into this great giveaway for the day. That's right. If you um, are giving a gift today or a call, hopefully with a pledge, <laughs> you will be entered to win a um, Amazon Echo situation. W- what is that? It's a, it's, <laughs> it's it has a premium super sound. Sweet, swanky premium sound yeah. with Amazon Echo. <laughs> will sound even better than we normally do on the other way you listen. Uh, 1-800-584-2788 is the number you can call to be entered into that giveaway or ctpublic.org slash donate. And if you're looking for a great thank you gift, the it's uh, Valentine's Day around the corner, and so a lot of folks are choosing this as a thank you gift. Two dozen, not just one dozen, two dozen Valentine's Day red roses. Yes, they are red. They are farm fresh, 24 classic red roses. It will arrive uh, on February 13th, so it'll get to the person you care about a day before Valentine's Day. Uh, Roses arrive boxed and ready in a favorite vase. It's only available to reserve uh, through Thursday, so do it right now while it's top of mind. Contribute right now. Show your love for the person you love, and show love for Connecticut Public. We thank you so much for your support. That's for $13 a month as a sustaining member. Whatever you can contribute, we appreciate it. ctpublic.org, ctpublic.org.